Welcome to The Checkup, brought to you by Barry Nelson's Health Law Team. The Checkup is a series of interviews, case studies and stories with some truly interesting and innovative people from all kinds of backgrounds, lawyers, doctors, authors, cyber experts and more. Together we provide a regular dose of all the latest happenings in healthcare and tackle some of the big issues within the industry. If you'd like to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to get in touch with our team, head to bnlaw.com.au. Welcome back to The Checkup. My name's Rob Samet, and I'm also joined by Katrina Moore. Hi, everyone. And we're both part of Barry Nilsson's National Health Law Team. Today, Kat and I will be discussing the topic, Are Your Employees Making You Vulnerable to Cyber Threats? We'll also be joined by a special guest who I'll introduce shortly. In today's world, if personal information is lost, stolen or unintentionally disclosed, there is an obligation to disclose the incident, not only to the Office of the Information Commissioner, but also potentially to each of the persons affected. So as you can probably imagine, if an incident occurs where there are a lot of people affected, it can be quite an onerous and expensive obligation. Some of our listeners will be aware that the OAIC released its second quarterly report on 31 July of 2018. Amongst a number of interesting facts, there are two of particular interest to us today. Firstly, the report revealed that the main target for cybercriminals is, in fact, the healthcare industry. And second, it revealed that the largest cause of data breaches in Australia following criminal attacks is just simple human error. So against this background, today we're looking at the role employees play in data and cyber breaches and what we can do as organisations in the healthcare industry to protect against that vulnerability. And we're fortunate today to have with us Patricia McMillan. Um, Patricia's very kindly um, joined us here today to offer us the benefit of her expertise as a cyber security awareness expert. And Patricia's also the author of a text, Make IT Matter, The Surprising Secret for Leading Digital Transformation. So thanks, Patricia, for taking the time out to speak with us here today and be part of this podcast. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. Okay. So first question, and not just focusing here on healthcare, but looking at, Patricia, what's the likelihood of an organisation's information being breached by an employee? And following on from that, what are the what are the practical consequences um, of such a breach, a data breach? So, according to the latest Verizon Data Breach Investigations report, around twenty eight percent of data breaches are caused by employees or insiders, and that includes. Um, both the intentional ones and also the unintentional ones that are the result of error. The consequences of a breach vary depending on what your organization's business risks are around the information that you hold and the extent of the breach. Um, But one of the most common consequences is that customer personal information can be exposed. And this could result in personal harm for those customers if their information is subsequently used in criminal activities such as fraud. And of course, it can result in loss of trust in your organization. Another consequence can be theft of your organization's intellectual property or the theft or exposure of any information your organization regards as sensitive. 
And if you've had a data breach, no matter what the other consequences are, there will definitely be a financial impact for the organization in responding to and recovering from that breach. And Patricia, who are the types of employees involved in these breaches and what are their motives? Because there's a common perception that obviously most of these breaches are disgruntled employees or ex-employees. Is this true? Um, According to Verizon, system administrators are the top internal actor involved in breaches, which makes sense because they have very privileged access to systems. That that group is followed by end users, uh, some miscellaneous others, doctors and nurses, and software developers. Disgruntled employees or ex-employees are responsible for some of the breaches, yes, but grudges are the motive in only a small percentage of breaches. Other malicious insiders might be acting on their own or they might be working with a cyber crime ring. They usually have a financial motivation because they can sell that information or they can be well rewarded by their, respo- by their sponsor for obtaining it. Um, But it's important to remember most insiders aren't acting with intent, but out of simple error or lack of awareness. We all make mistakes, especially when we're in a hurry or when we don't know what the policy says. And when security controls or policies make it more difficult to do our daily jobs, all of us are tempted to create easy workarounds, and that can inadvertently result in a data breach. Okay, Patricia, what are some of the common ways employees inadvertently breach a business's cyber security? So most successful cyber attacks start with a phishing email. And that's the reason organizations place such a priority on the technology to stop phishing from ever reaching their networks and also on awareness and education campaigns to help employees identify phishing and what to do about it. In one of these typical scenarios, a phishing email contains a link that might say something completely innocuous, like, please see this document for review. That's a really basic one, but the messages vary in sophistication. Some of them can be very clever and can be crafted to look like something the employee would be expecting or would believe is important to click on. And then they click on that link and it takes the employee to a login screen that mimics one of the common cloud-based email and collaboration platforms that more and more organizations are using now. And because it looks like a login screen that the employees are used to seeing, it looks like a perfectly normal thing they see every day. They just automatically enter their username and password, and then they go on with their day not realizing anything happened at all. But the result is that that bad actor now has that employee's username and password. And they can use that to send out additional phishing emails from the user's account, which they do to harvest more usernames and passwords. And they might get lucky in this process and gain access to a really privileged account, like a system administrator or an executive or a finance manager. Some other common ways result from employees creating workarounds to make it easier to do their jobs. For example, they might forward work emails to their personal email just to make it easier to work from home. And this is famously what got Hillary Clinton in such a mess, but it can be common practice in organizations, even if it's against policy. Or they might write down their passwords or use the same password at work as they do for personal logins to make it easier to remember. 
or they might share their password with someone else, such as their assistant or another system administrator, just to make their tasks easier. So you foreshadowed a little bit of information about phishing and and other types of ways that employees can make organisations vulnerable to cyber attacks. What are some of the underlying causes of data breaches by employees and why are these breaches occurring so prevalently? Well, I think the causes are not just um, leading to increase in breaches by employees, but um, all kinds of um, breaches by all kinds of actors are occurring more frequently. Uh, And I think some of the reasons for this are that almost all organizations are working now in a more digital and interconnected environment. They're putting more of their sensitive information into that digital environment, and they're linking more and more of that information together. So there's great benefits to doing this from a business perspective because it means organizations can offer better and more convenient services to their customers, and they can work in a more flexible and productive way. But the problem is that this way of working creates new risks. And we're seeing that from the increasing number of data breaches. So a natural consequence of this digital environment is that there are bigger and bigger honeypots of information that are extremely attractive to cyber criminals and cyber espionage rings. These groups have sophisticated tools and approaches. They are very well resourced. They work together and they can be anywhere in the world. They don't have to be anywhere near their target. So the fact that we've created these these environments that are really attractive to the cyber criminals, I think, is what is resulting in the increase in breaches. Patricia, you've spoken there about the bad guys um, who are targeting employees to gain access to networks and stored personal information. Now, I've heard that while there's no such thing as a perfect crime, cybercrime can get pretty close to being the perfect crime. How do these people, how do the cyber criminals get others to innocently pay money, and sometimes lots of money, into their bank accounts? Well, we talked earlier about how most successful cyber attacks start with a phishing email and how easy it is for an employee to inadvertently reveal their username and password to an attacker and give them access to their account on the organization's network. Now, a typical follow-on from uh, what we call this credential harvesting. So a typical follow-on from this credential harvesting is that the fraudster will then use their access to the network to eavesdrop on correspondence about invoices between the organization and its suppliers or customers. And they wait for an opportune time, and then the fraudster will pretend to be the supplier and request a change to the account number so that the organization winds up paying the fraudster instead of the supplier. So you've mentioned that these fraudsters, they'll network eavesdrop. Um, in relation to better understand an organization. A common method utilized by hackers to gain access to a network is by social engineering. Could you tell our listeners what social engineering is and why it's such a risk for data security? Social engineers are just con artists. They have a fancy new name in the world of cybersecurity, and they use information they've gained about you and your organization and their own persuasiveness, just like any con artist, to try to convince you to do something you wouldn't normally do, like make an urgent payment without going through your standard processes or reveal information that you shouldn't reveal. 
And to do this, they might use email, they might use phone calls, text, social media, or even face-to-face contact as part of their con. And it's a risk because attackers know it's almost always easier to get around the people in an organization than it is to hack through the technology. And you mentioned social media. Um, what about that? Is there there's a clear potential, obviously, for information to be drawn from social media to aid hackers? What should employers be requiring of their employees in regard to their personal social media pages? This is something where it's difficult to strike the right balance because often an employee's social media presence might be beneficial to the organisation, but at the same time, it can create risks. So organizations really should do a risk assessment around social media use to determine what their own policies ought to be. However, just as a general practice, it's a great idea for everyone to check their social media security settings to make sure you're only sharing information with the people you want to share information with. And this benefits not just your organization, but yourself as an individual. For example, are you only sharing information with your friends or connections, or are you sharing it with a wider group of people that you might not know? And are you careful to only accept connection requests from people you do actually know? It's a great idea, if you haven't done this in a while, to go through a clean-out of your connections. It's also good to be careful about what you post that might inadvertently reveal more than you intended about you or your organization. For example, you might not want to reveal your travel plans or important meetings that might be coming up. And it's good practice to think before you post about what the security implications of that post might be. Patricia, a lot of employers allow employees to bring their own phone or laptop or electronic device to work. And of course, you have a lot more people now who are working from home. Which raises the or a question, should employers be wary of employees using their own devices for work purposes? Again, I think this depends very much on the organisation and the nature of the information or systems the employee has access to and the risks you've identified. I love working from home, um, but in general, personal devices are not likely to be as secure as a device over which the organization has complete control. And information downloaded to a personal device has then left the organization's environment. So it's, again, out of their control. However, there are technology controls that can mitigate some of these risks, such as requiring use of a virtual private network and using multi-factor authentication. So that's when you need to enter a code from your phone or a token or use a fingerprint or face recognition in addition to entering your password. Okay, so we've highlighted the risks and the ways that employees can weaken a business's or organization's cybersecurity security defenses. Now, what are the steps businesses can take to mitigate against human error? I mean, should someone like me just be banned from using a computer? <laughs> I don't think any of us can be banned from using a computer. They're too integral to the way that we do our work now. Um, but I would say first conduct a risk assessment to find out what your biggest risks are and where you should put your focus. Then after you've done your risk assessment, 
use technology to address as many of these risks as you can so that there's less reliance on humans always doing the right thing all the time. Because as we know, we all do make mistakes. For example, there is technology that can filter out the vast majority of phishing messages so they never reach your network. However, understand that technology will never be able to address all of your cyber risk. The third thing you should do is put controls in place uh, for processes so that, for example, a single individual can't make changes to key systems or financial accounts. And then finally, equip your people with the awareness and knowledge and support they need to act as your organization's human firewall. This can include everything from general awareness about phishing and social engineering, to educating the HR team about identifying employees and prospects that might pose a risk to the organization, to educating people who work with third-party contractors, to nurturing a positive work culture so that employees aren't disgruntled, they're not acting under stress, and they're not afraid to come forward if they've seen unusual activity by other employees. In regards to equipping your employees with knowledge, Obviously, a lot of businesses require employees to undertake compliance-based online training to promote cyber awareness. Is this sufficient? And what's some more active preventative measures that businesses could take to really engage with their employees? Done once when an employee joins an organisation, or at best, it might be done once a year. Often it's a set of short videos, and a lot of people just let them run in the background without paying much attention to them. And even if they are paying attention, they'll quickly forget the content if it's not reinforced more frequently. And if it's a standard product that's been purchased from a supplier, and there are a lot of really good ones out there, even if the content's good, it will have a generic feel to it rather than feeling like something that applies specifically to the employee and their organization and their role. A much better approach is to work on turning your employees into allies in protecting your organization and to look at how you can support them in this. And that includes delivering the right content to the right people at the right time. And when I say that, uh, right content means it's engaging, it's easy to put into practice, and it's directly applicable to your organization and your employees. The right people means you've done that risk assessment, to identify the particular groups you need to focus on, not just for general awareness, but for their specific roles and their level of access to information. And the right time means the information is reinforced frequently in bite-sized chunks rather than a single information dump. And that you've considered particular times at which it might be important to reach them. For example, a period of high risk is often when a new employee joins the organization because they may not have all of the access set up yet and they may not be fully aware of all policies and processes. So that's a time when they're most likely to create those workarounds that we talked about. Okay, so it seems clear and we acknowledge that um, all employees really within a business some more than others need to be educated about cybersecurity to protect a business from the ground up. But Patricia, what can be done at a senior uh, level, at an executive or board level, to raise awareness about cybersecurity issues? It's so important to engage senior executives and the board. These are the people who are making decisions about where to invest in order to mitigate cyber risks 
And if they're engaged, they can open up all kinds of doors for making your engagement with other employee groups more effective. The first thing I recommend is to speak in their language, which is the language of business risk. So understand where cyber risk fits in the context of other business risks that are important to the executive and the board. So you can have a sensible conversation about it with them instead of one that's based on fear and uncertainty. There are also some activities that can be particularly effective in raising awareness amongst senior executives. In particular, I've seen great results from Game of Threats which is an executive cyber exercise offered by PwC. I don't have any financial relationship with PwC. I just think they have a really good product that I'm happy to recommend. Executives have a lot of fun with it, and it's really effective in raising their awareness about their own accountability for cyber risk and changing their perception that it's something the IT area is responsible for because that's one of the things that... Uh, is one of the most common misconceptions about cyber risk. It is something that the executives and the board need to take responsibility for, but there's a common misperception that it's something that the IT people should be taking care of. Another common recommendation that I've heard of is that businesses will create an accessible cybersecurity plan. So a plan that's accessible by all employees. What should this type of plan entail and how would it help during a cyber incident? For most of our organizations, a major cyber incident is a matter of when, not if. So you need to be prepared when it happens to respond effectively and recover quickly. And there are a couple of plans organizations should have in place. One of them is an incident response plan. This is a plan that details how your organization will respond in the event of a cyber incident. A good incident response plan can limit the damage you'll face from an incident and help you recover as soon as possible. It should include an identification of your key assets, what's most important to protect, plans for particular incident scenarios, key roles and responsibilities, contact lists and checklists for use during the incident, a process for alerting key stakeholders, public relations and media management, and post-incident review and reporting. Another plan to have in place is a business continuity plan. And this one covers any kind of potential service disruption, not just cyber incidents. The business continuity plan will have some overlaps with the incident response plan, but its focus is on recovery and resilience. How do you keep essential services running during an incident and recover quickly afterwards? Finally, um, almost finally, if a cyber breach has occurred, what should businesses do to protect themselves um, then and in the future? Have a look at the technology, the processes, and the culture and awareness you can put in place to prevent this kind of incident from happening again or to recover more quickly in the future. And hopefully you won't need an incident to prompt you to do it. Now, Patricia, we've established that employees can make businesses vulnerable to cyber attacks. And we've also established that someone like me should have all electronic devices removed from their office. But there is a lot that employers can do to protect their personal information. Is there anything further that you'd like to tell our listeners about protecting their businesses from cyber attacks? There's a lot that technology can do to protect your organization from cyber attacks. 
And the technology is getting more sophisticated all the time, so definitely take full advantage of this. However, technology will never be able to fully protect your business from cyber attacks. To some extent, you'll always be relying on your employees. The best thing you can do in that regard is to move away from a compliance-based approach to cyber awareness to a culture-based approach that turns your employees into your allies in protecting your organization, your human firewall. We'd like to thank, extend our thanks to Patricia for agreeing to come and speak with us today about cyber threats and how to protect your organisation from a breach. It's clear that businesses who fail to prepare their staff to meet cyber attacks are risking not only their valuable information but also their reputation. We hope that today's podcast provided your business with a few helpful tips on how to create a more secure and cyber-aware workplace. Remember that the best cybersecurity is only as good as your weakest link. And as Patricia explained, when it comes to your employees, you can go a long way to eliminating the weak links through a culture of awareness and vigilance. Spend a little here to save a lot, bearing in mind that in 2017, the average cost of a cyber breach or a data breach was around two and a half million dollars. So develop a cybersecurity plan, um, have in place, a cyber response plan for when or if and when a breach occurs, and also go out there and buy Patricia's book, which is called Making IT Matter, um, The Surprising Secret for Leading Digital Transformation. So thanks very much to Patricia for giving us the benefit of her expertise today. Thanks, Katrina. Thanks, Rob. And thank you all for, for listening.